Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Mishka Katkoff, and today my guest is Tom Wyman, lead game analyst from New Zoo, who has been at New Zoo for past, no, over six years. And Tom, you're behind these magnificent report. One came out last week. Um, can you please introduce yourself a little bit more other than that you're from, from Holland and you're probably really, really tall? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi, uh, thanks for the intro. Yeah, good, good day, everyone. Six foot three, nice. uh, to be exact. So I am really tall, just as my fellow countrymen. <laughs> um, so my name is Tom. Um, I've been the, uh, I work at NewZoo. I've been the lead games analyst over at NewZoo for the past six years. And for all of those six years, I am the lead author and analyst behind um, our Global Games Market Reports. Um, which I assume many of the listeners are familiar with, I hope. I'd say all. <laughs> I'd say all. I'd say all, yeah. Hopefully. You know, yeah. that's what I like to tell myself. Yeah. But maybe there's someone out there, if you haven't read it yet, you can. It's uh, free to download. You have you have um, a huge impact on the industry with your reports. Everybody reads them. They're in pretty much all the presentations with, uh, with executives, with founders, uh, with venture capitalists, with bankers with you know anybody who's after or giving money uh, is is using your reports but can you can you a little bit open up what else newzu does except these these uh widely accepted reports right so the reports we do is one thing um we're a specialized games uh market intelligence firm and we do three pillars of what we do basically business units we have um our consumer research study um, which is uh, what we've done the longest, actually, not the reports, mm -hmm. uh, interestingly enough. Um, so we do consumer research about gaming, game behavior, preferences, motivation in 37 countries every year. Um, then we've uh, more recently started a tracking platform around PC and console engagement and revenue data. So we track all the common metrics, MAU, DU, wow. retention, overlap, uh, churn, <clears throat> um, as well as revenues for two countries right now. We're hoping to expand that. Um, so we've been doing that since 2020, and uh, it's been exciting to see that grow. And then the third thing we do, and that's what we're here to talk about today, is uh, market sizing and forecasts mm -hmm. for the global games market. And you do consulting as well, right? Yes. Oh, so a, whenever that's a fourth uh, one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So basically, <laughs> the, the way that works is whenever one of our products um actually there's two ways that works whenever one of our products doesn't quite fit uh what a client needs we will always talk about whether we mm -hmm. have a customer or a consulting solution that might answer that specific question um but what's also really exciting is because as you said you know our reports are widely read uh, we make quite an impact on the market um firms approaches both endemic non-endemic firms for our, uh, approaches for our, our expertise in the markets um, and that leads us to some uh, very exciting consulting projects. And we're very open to do those as well. Nice. And what does an endemic mean before we jump into endemic oh, and non-endemic? <laughs> uh, this is maybe uh, jargon from our company that I'm saying. <laughs> when we talk about endemic, we're talk basically talking about game developer or publisher. Oh, got uh, it. Or maybe a platform that's uh, specifically for gaming. Um, but then as gaming has grown over the past years, mm -hmm. um, we've seen our client base shift. I, the majority of clients that we work with still are game developers mm -hmm. or the publishers. Um, but more and more, that's also spreading to um, 
brands, consumer brands that are coming in, uh, of course, uh, from the finance uh, yeah. industry, we get a lot of interest. Um, automotive, wow. uh, foods, you, yeah, it's, it's, our, our clients have really diversified over the last five years and that's, you know, exciting, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it is. It is exciting. It is cool. But what's even more exciting right now is the uh, the global gaming market trends. So you've spent probably how, how long did it take you to uh, to get this report done? Um, building the actual report is about a process of two months, okay. I'd say uh, maybe three months if you include like around it's the way we work them up around right around when all the full year results from companies, because that's mm -hmm. a very important input from us, uh, for us, which is around April is when we get China as well. They typically yeah. a bit later when they release the reports. Um, that's when we start, but first we start with crunching the numbers, um, getting a model, right. And then building a report would say I take another six weeks. So we start around April and then our first launch is, um, June, July. So last, so last six weeks or, you know, even longer, you've been heads down on this, this yearly content cadence of yours. And can you talk a little bit about the other uh, the three big ones, mobile console and PC? Like, I mean, you can talk about the, uh, the web as well. <laughs> that's, that's maybe a part of it. We'd be really, really curious to like, what's the high level view and, and what are, what are the kind of key takeaways from the global like, gaming market trends? Of course. So the high highest level view, I guess, is, is the good news is we're returning to growth. Um, last year was um, a decline in the revenues for the market. The first time that we've reported mm -hmm. on it, at least, and we've done this since 2012. But you know, given what happened the two years before, I hope most people weren't shocked um, that uh, there was a bit of a correction last year. But this year we're returning to growth. Um, Interestingly, and the first one to point out, I guess, is um, that the growth this year really is driven by console gaming. Um, and, uh, well, we've all seen the amount of games that are coming out this year, the amount of, and that there's more coming, you know, Starfield's just around the corner, yeah. uh, Zelda, Hogwarts Legacy, um, Resident Evil, I don't, there's been so many games, also games that have happened delayed from the past two years, and, and all of that is coming together this year where it's also a year where um, finally you're able to purchase a PlayStation 5 and an Xbox series in, in stores again, which was also a problem that was sort of um, limiting the growth potential console in the past few years. So all of that is sort of coming together in a perfect um, situation for console growth. And that's really what is driving growth this year. Is it so that the console wasn't like when we compare the previous years, is the growth driven by the fact, and I don't know if this is a fact, that there's so many games launching that, and, and you know, you can actually get your hands on PS5. Uh, whereas in previous years, um, there were delays, whether they are in supply chain delays that didn't allow you to purchase the device, or just delays in development where a lot of these games, like you mentioned, Hogwarts, Zelda, and, and all the other ones weren't just available. I mean, they were delayed. It really is both. Um, so, uh, yeah, the fact that it was more difficult to purchase a new console in the past years, mm -hmm. uh, but, and then the fact that many of those titles that were supposed to be selling these consoles, because that's ultimately what people upgrade for to play these, these new titles were also 
due to development delays uh, launched this year and maybe not 2022 or even in some cases 2021. So it's the combination of those two factors mm -hmm. that really drives console up this year. Yeah. And was there a lot of like when, when you did the study, were, were there's a lot of development delays or or compared to previous years? Yes, um, but it, it's not so much about the quantity of delays, um, but it's really about the, the the quality or the impact of the games mm. that were delayed. So we're really talking about um, those you mentioned in addition Final Fantasy 16 like mm. these are games in franchises or you know, Hogwarts was new but in the Harry Potter franchise which are selling billions like yeah. literally yeah not in, in revenue so that that does make a large difference got um, it got it um and and those two so impacted both console and PC so the delays in games and delays in, in devices more so console than PC. Um, PC a little bit, but PC much more so than console is a life service market um, where majority of revenue comes from uh, existing games that have been out for, uh, in some cases, five, ten years. Yeah. Like we still see Counter-Strike in the top 10 game by revenue every month or top 20 sometimes. But And that game has been around for more than a decade. Uh, Valorant, Fortnite, you know, these, these big life service titles that are yeah. really driving PC revenue. And there is a market for premium games on PC as well. But for the most part, it is console where the most of those sales are. And then there's, there's a section, segment of PC as well. I wanted to talk to you about Heroic Labs. Building a successful game is hard enough without worrying about building your own game tech as well. Heroic Labs provides a comprehensive game stack to help you get your game into market faster and scale beyond the competition. With their Unity Game Framework Hero, you can cut development and prototyping time in half and quickly add social, economy, and reward systems to grow your game. Satori, the live ops platform built specifically for the games industry, lets you run live events, A-B tests, deliver dynamic content to players, and always keep your game growing. Nakama, the industry's leading open source game server lets you develop locally, providing all social and competitive features for your game, and then seamlessly transition to their Heroic Cloud hosted service and easily scale to meet the largest of audience demands. Find out how to get started at HeroicLabs.com. This episode is brought to you by Data AI. Yes, they were called App Annie back in the day, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how Data AI is the first company to combine consumer and market data with the power of artificial intelligence. And Data AI does this to unlock unique consumer and market insight to accelerate competitive advantages across all digital channels worldwide. What we here at Deconstructor Fund really like is Data AI's Game IQ tool. It's this fantastic market and competitive intelligence tool for mobile gaming that allows publishers to really get to the feature level of a game without doing a full-on deconstruction first. Using this tool, your team can quickly tie features to performance KPIs, which will help you make difficult roadmap decisions. It's also a great tool to identify hidden growth opportunities as you can analyze games on a scale. As you well know, there are hundreds of thousands of gaming apps in the App Store and thousands of new mobile games released each month. And while we don't want you to stop reading and listening to Deconstructor Fun, the fact is we can't cover it all. With Data AI, and especially their Game IQ tool, you'll be able to efficiently determine what features provide a lift, make roadmap decisions based on accurately modeled expected outcomes, discover how competitors lifted performance through feature releases, benchmark performance against your competitors, focus with confidence on the highest potential genre for a new game release. We here at Deconstructor Fun are huge fans of Data AI, so what are you waiting for? Go to Data AI and try the service for free. 
do you do you think that there's a like in your in your studies do you see the trend of console wanting what the pc has meaning like it would be great to have a counter-strike a league of legends a valorant or a Fortnite, basically a game that you can just just that you run and you don't have to ship constantly a new version every every year or every second year like you have to do with call of duties and, and the fifas of the world is that sort of a games as a service trend visible in your report yeah absolutely yeah uh it's one of the first trends that we highlight as well in the report is this this push development push for live services on console and um they're there but they haven't quite made the impact um but when you see the the strategy of a, a sony and a microsoft and like the big guys on on console it's it's going in that direction and it's what it looks to be at least from the outside is that they're going to try and do both so you have these very big franchises on console that, mm. you know, Assassin's Creed, Last of Us, Horizon, that they're now games in development um, that are supposed to be these live services or that have a multiplayer element that have this staying power. And on top of that, you'll get your cadence of um, standalone releases within the franchise that really bring in this revenue. But then in the in the time between those. You know, you have this game that people can keep playing, yeah. keep engaging with, and you keep pushing out content for. I mean, that sounds all dandy and then good. But when, <laughs> but when you kind of zoom out and and start looking at at the console market as a uh, as a as a whole, a couple of questions. They, first of all, they keep pushing subscription services. So, like, you have a subscription, and now you have a games as a service. Those two are contradicting, in my opinion. Then um, I don't know what's happening with the player base. Is the player base growing or not? Because not only you have two business, actually three business models, you have paid games, you have subscription, and now you're attempting to do games as service. And then you have a set player base. And of course, the player base is much smaller due to the entry cost and the requirements to, to be a console player versus, for example, a mobile player. I don't know how it compares to PC. Like what is... What is this all leading towards? It's, it sounds like uh, like the market is very uh, like going into different directions, and it feels like if you go to multiple directions at the same time, you'll get nowhere. Uh, exactly, <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I actually quite I love that you brought this up because yeah. this is this is a real risk. Um, so it let uh, to unpack some of that. Um, I, I think you hit a good point when you said the player base isn't growing as fast and, and it, we're projecting it not to grow as fast as it has in the, in the past five to 10 years. Um, and, and to how I see it at least, that is part of what is driving this trend. Um, these companies, they see that projection um, or they see other projections about the player base. They mm -hmm. see it in their own numbers probably. And then they're like, oh, well, if, if we're not going to get a new as many new players, then we need to, to keep these growth rates that we have, we need to do better with the players we have. How do we do that? Hmm, we look at mobile, we look at PC, let's try live services. Um, but you're right, because they're also trying subscriptions and, and subscription is a bit of a, um, we're, we're not as bullish on subscriptions as we might've been in the past. Um, okay. Come. <laughs> uh, um, well, first of all, because the reports confirm that uh, in some cases the numbers have missed targets and uh, the uh, user base for subscriptions haven't quite 
matched the projections that were internal. Um, you also see it in the content that is coming to uh, to these subscriptions. It's not coming at the same pace as it might have in the past. And <clears throat> for the same reason, we see if you're pushing live services, you're pushing these premium games, but you're also trying to do the subscriptions. Like at some point, one of these has to, has to give. There's a limit to not even, well, there is a limit to how much people can spend on games. Mm -hmm. But I think the first limit that we're going to reach is just the time that people have to play. And, and particularly when you go for these engagement-based models, which is a live service where you prioritize engagement over revenue, um, well, you put engagement first. Uh, at that point, you're actively pushing two completely different uh, ideas. Um, so it's a very, very real risk, I would say, that this market, we're reaching saturation and saturation in, in terms of the amount of playtime people have and, and where they can put that. Yeah, and and also the uh, the paid games, so the uh, the big blockbuster ones, the Uncharted, the God of War, yeah, uh, the uh, what's the sorry, the Microsoft game Star, uh, Starfield, Starfield. I don't know if that's paid or not, but um, but it, it feels like probably both. Like like the, the yeah, the, that's the, that's the, the interesting <laughs> part, right? It's it's paid, it's definitely paid, mm -hmm. but it's also going to be on Game Pass. Of course it is. Um, <laughs> of course it has to be, and it will have microtransactions not... as well. I don't know. But, I actually but, don't know. But it's but like, at, like, like Diablo some type point. of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Maybe, probably not on launch and yeah. then a month after, all of a sudden, hey, look, guys, you can purchase more. <laughs> no, but that's, that's exactly the thing, right? Because Starfield's now coming to Game Pass and it is a paid game. And I don't know how that's... And these a lot paid, of people are going to play it. Yeah, and these but, paid games are not only, you know, some of them are true blockbuster hits. But they're also much bigger than in the previous generation. So there's more time put in, the quality is better, but there's more time, you know, that they allow you to play that game. So it's just like, uh, yeah, sounds crazy what's happening with uh, with console. They're going in all directions at once. Yeah. So far, though, at least this year, it's, it's leading to growth. Like, I don't want to sound like it's it's um, it's a bad outlook. It's mm -hmm. not at all. Um and even these paid games, these premium games, like they're selling breaking records in terms yeah. of sale. Like the install base for console is bigger than it's ever been. So it's it's definitely a market that is set for growth. But at the same time, I think we can question like all of these ideas that are happening at the same time. And some of them are not going to work, but that's also natural, I, I guess. Um, yeah, interesting. That's an interesting <clears throat> point. And and when yeah. when a console game doesn't work, that's an expensive miss because of the price. Yes. That's a very expensive yeah. miss. Very much, very much so. Yeah, with all the marketing, they only come. Yeah, they only come every few years. You're, yeah, you're in a franchise, and and that's broadening. Like it's five, six years between a between a release is not even that crazy at this mm -hmm. uh, at this point. And does PC have similar types of problems? I mean, when I think about PC, I think about Steam. I think about Epic Store. Uh, you know. Um, um, less so because uh, premium is just not as much of a market on PC as it is on console and mm -hmm. definitely not the blockbuster premium style that, that console is known for. So there's more games. A lot of PC revenue is also carried by AA and even indie games. Um, I think because the amount of titles that are launched, the amount of titles that are purchased on platforms like Steam, EGS, are, are more diversified 
that means that this, what we were talking about, the console is less of a risk. At the same time, the concentration of revenues on PC is um, very much in those top performing live service titles as well. Um, but there's no reason to assume why they would all of a sudden start declining because they have been at the top for so long. Mm. And there are things that are carrying. But when it comes to PC though, um, <clears throat> maybe let's let's briefly, we can briefly touch upon on web yeah. browser. Uh, browser, to be, to be fair, is, is, is a segment that's been in decline for so many like it's it's hanging on by yeah. a thread would you call it most would you call it mice nuts at this point <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh well it's it's still there's still somewhat of a market but most of that is china like if yeah. you see our number in the report and you see oh that that's that's bigger than mm. than i would thought then realize that probably half of that browser market right now mm. is china yeah um and and a significant chunk in in south korea and then the rest is spread uh, all over the rest of the world Interestingly, going back a few years, but there was a short browser resurgence during COVID <laughs> when it was a, a very low entry, low barrier to entry type of game. Yeah. And we have one year where browser revenues were more or less flat yeah. year and year. And, and after that, it went decline again. But that is, you know, in terms of PC, it's it's uh, mice nuts, as you put it. <laughs> uh, and the, the rest of the market is just, uh, yeah download games yeah one th more one more thing about console and pc so is there a trend of big console games being also like these paid games or or paid plus microtransaction games being launched on 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 pc as well like are console games also trying to because you know the user base is what it is they're trying five different business models at the same time but are they also pushing on pc to kind of get a, a little bit of a new players from there as well well, there's two things at play here, I would say. One of the things is that there is an ongoing trend about being cross-platform. Just cross-platform is a bit of a hype term, mm -hmm. but the way I put it, you want to be on the platform that your players are. So if your player is at that point on a PC um, or, or on a complementary device that, that runs like a PC, you want your game to be there at that time as well. So that's part of it. It's also, like we just discussed, you know, we're stretching the console player base, uh, at least in, in, in the Western markets. Mm -hmm. So you want to tap into the PC audience. But I will say that that trend this year or the past 12 months somewhat slowed down because mm -hmm. I think a lot of developers, publishers have realized that it is not so easy to port your game to PC and have it work. And there were quite a few... <clears throat> disappointing failures or failures sounds hard, but uh, like games that just didn't optimize well for PC that didn't run as well. And that got a, quite a bit of negative feedback. Mm -hmm. And we see that, that that's somewhat cooled down the, um, we've got to get all our games on PC as well. Appetite like, optimize for console first for many of these console first yeah. games, get an audience there, have that work, you know, do your seasonal content, your microtransactions, etc. If all of that works and you've sort of maxed out there, maybe then look at what the PC audience is. But if you're trying to do all of these things at the same time, mm -hmm. then the very real risk is that the port doesn't work. That might upset your player yeah. base there. Yeah, yeah, it hits the uh, meta score and everything and, and brings a bad sentiment and people start associating yeah. that with the uh, with the console version and and all, all, all that jazz. Um, I'm going to focus actually on, on console mostly because it seems like they are the ones that are growing and they are yeah. the ones that are making most of the moves, whether it's the business um, 
business models or whether it is expansion to other platforms. So kind of going back to to these console developers that are, are experiencing this this tremendous growth right now, um, what is going on with handheld devices? Because there was the Steam Deck, uh, then there was, um, what, what was, well, Nintendo is, of course, they, they announced the new device and and yep. they there seem seems to be doing great with the uh, with a subpar device that they have in terms of uh, just specifications like i have it it's like worse than my phone like five times worse than my phone and um, <laughs> and um uh sony just released playstation just released a new new handheld device which is like yep. a different take on everything what's going on with the handheld market is it growing is it is it stable is it declining uh why are these companies going after handheld devices <sighs> Uh, yeah, that, there, there's again, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, it's certainly a very interesting market to keep a look at. Uh, the, um, the way we see handheld for the most, and and I think you, you know, there's there's an there's a, a semantics argument you can, we can have here about whether Steam Deck is a console or a PC. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way we classify these, um, and then I'm leaving Switch out for the second, but that's they're really complementary devices. Um, looking at Steam Deck and then. Uh, Asus, uh, ROG, Ally, there's a Logitech thing that tried to do cloud, but I I think we'll get to that at some point. (laughs) Let's leave it it towards the end. Let's leave that for now. I I know Chris Uh, is listening to this, so he will will burn a fuse if we we start talking about cloud. He's grabbing his desk now. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. Uh, Let's leave that. and then, uh, indeed, the, the PlayStation device that is, again, going a different route. Um, but we, we classify most of these as what you call complementary devices. And again, they're they're in that uh, train of thought of, I want my game or I want my platform to be where my players are at the time. And, and I think if you're a PC gamer, um, if you have a large library on Steam or, or whatever is PC platform, one of the... Um, frustrations that you might run into as a player is that if you're on the move, if you're on a flight or you're on a commuting to work, then you can't play these games. If you're somewhere else, you're on vacation, you're in a hotel, you can't play these games. And mm-hmm. a Steam Deck, uh, the Ally, they fix that. You know, you can take these. I have a Steam Deck. I haven't played and bought as many PC games in years oh, wow. since I got that. Oh, wow. so it's, I have a one and a half hour commute to office. I don't go every day but I find myself excited to commute to the office <laughs> because it means, you know, I'm a parent as well. So yeah. gaming time is very limited, yeah. but that's three hours of uninterrupted wow. gaming time that's guaranteed on that day. So for me, anecdotally, it works right. Like it's the perfect device. And, and actually I had a Switch too, but I, I never played it because I, I didn't grow up with Nintendo. So I don't have that nostalgia factor. Mm. Um, and I, I switched it for a Steam Deck and... But it is really like, especially these devices, the value add, the the um, the unique selling point of it is if you already have built up that library of games on PC, um, if you're already a PC gamer, because if you're not, I, I don't think that you're going to buy that. Maybe at some point in a few years from now, when these devices get even better, like we get a Steam Deck V2, um, and they're really a replacement for a gaming PC. Um, I would say right now, though, they're additive, complementary. And 
that's also when we look at revenues and in terms of players, these devices aren't necessarily growing the PC player base. And I wouldn't even say that these games are um, bringing in much additional revenues for the segment, but it is some of the one of the trends that sustains the PC market. Mm. And, and you're able to track the additive <clears throat> sale uh, through these handheld devices or because sometimes when I look at the uh, the graph that shows handheld devices and and in the latest uh, data AI and IDC report actually showed a decline in it. I'm just yeah. wondering, are they showing the uh, uh, the value of the market as the device sales or are they showing the additive value that that these devices generate by by players actually buying more games? I can't really speak yeah. to their methodology because I don't have that insight, but my my best guess would be that it's the additive value of selling games. Got it. Um, I think IDC in the past has always had a um, uh, different category for when it came to hardware sales. Got it, got um, it. And we would do the same. We would look at, like, we would be able to track what devices people use to play. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where we could get some of this info. Perfect. So, so we got we got console, well, PC especially, like uh, having this added to sale. We have console, the console, um, well, Microsoft and uh, and Sony having devices that allow you to to play uh, their games on handheld devices. Sony has proprietary device, and then Microsoft, I think, is just offering the uh, the, the cloud. Xbox it's, yeah, it's the ability to stream yeah. uh, these games to your to your mobile phone. Got it. Um, but it, it's the, the it's roughly like it's a different. It's I, I would say, I don't know how the experience compares, but I would say the idea of this being a, a device that will help you to take your console or PC games on the go. Got it. Um, and whether you do that through streaming or whether you do that through. Um, uh, local remote play, which is what I think uh, the the Sony uh, PlayStation Portal, I think mm-hmm. it's called, um, will work off, or whether it's really with a dedicated your native handheld gaming device such as Steam Deck or ROG Ally. Um, the idea is just to bring your existing library and take it with you on the go. Perfect, perfect. So just increasing engagement, as as we talked about with uh, yeah, with with other elements. Now uh, let's let's switch gears a little bit and talk about mobile. We can start off with with just the mobile market as a whole, and but yeah. we also have to touch point again of these console developers really focusing on, on mobile. Like we've seen Microsoft making a case that the whole acquisition of Activision is really about mobile. Like that's that's a very bold statement, uh, but yes. that's that's kind of shows the. Uh, uh, the sentiment, whether that is correct or not, uh, well, we have to take it as, as correct since it's an official company statement that mobile yep. is very important for them. So can you talk a little bit why this is so, what's happening in mobile? Uh, sure. So maybe to start at the market itself, um, we do um, forecast a very small increase in mobile revenues this year, but just 0.8% year on year. And that follows a... Um, rather significant decline from last year. Um, so we're, we're still going to end up below the level of mobile revenues um, that we had uh, 2021. Of course. Um, but again, yeah, part of that, I think, has been discussed many times, like the uh, removal of uh, IDFA and everything that followed after that, you know, fingerprinting, all these other solutions that might or might not work or might it might not work as effectively. Um, in the context of 
um, Microsoft and what console developers are seeing in this market, though, it, it's really audience. When we talk about player audience, um, mobile is a factor two and a half over PC audience and, and a factor four almost over console audience, if not more. And it is where, interestingly enough, it's where the growth is as well, because we are, you know, when we're talking about the global market and what is driving growth, then of course, it's the the uh, major mature markets. We're talking North America, Western Europe, China, Japan, South Korea, that determine, you know, that have a very big influence on whether the global market grows. Mm -hmm. So if those markets are <clears throat> not growing as fast as they have in the past, or, or maybe even declining at some point, then in the global picture, you will see a decline. But if you're an individual mobile publisher or developer, and you're looking like, okay, where can I capture growth? A lot of that is still in mobile, but not in these massive markets, but in the smaller region or the, the emerging regions, mm -hmm. um, South Asia, Southeast Asia, uh, MENA, uh, Middle East, North Africa, Latin America. And if you want to grow in those markets, um, they're mobile first regions. They're the player base is going to be on mobile. The the growth in revenues is on mobile. And that's not necessarily to do with, well, of course, content has to be there. But what unlocks growth in these markets is people getting access to cheaper smartphones, better internet infrastructure, um, adoption of local payment methods, adoption of local payment processors. And if you include the, if those get added to or if those are get integrated into how people play games and you all of a sudden get the ability to pay for them. That is what's driving a lot of growth. So <clears throat> even though in the global picture, mobile might not look like the, the market to, to focus on mm -hmm. if you're, you know, you dive a bit deeper into the data and you look at where on a market level, you can still find growth. There's, there's mm -hmm. quite a bit of opportunity in mobile. I find it always confusing because I analyze mobile market a lot when you kind of bundle all the mobile market together. And what I like to do personally is I always remove Japan, Korea and China because they have such a strong influence on the overall market. But they're also extremely concentrated markets where yeah. China, you can't enter. Let's start with there. And yeah. Korea, no. maybe you could enter it. But, technically I mean, they, they, you can te but technically it's you can exactly exactly it's unlikely yep. you might you know clash of clans or that kind of a game might do it if you set up your own operations there japan kind of same thing but you're not going to be big in japan like let's be honest there's nothing that will that it doesn't matter how big of a game you have in the west or in the rest of the, uh, the world it's not going to be big in japan it could be okay in japan and even that will require significant investment so anyways i tend to leave those out and then start looking at the market and really start looking at the different genres and, and audiences. So to summarize kind of like what you said, mobile is pretty much stable. Um, what's keeping it stable is lack of growth in key markets. Uh, those who are very matured where players have been playing these mobile games for about a decade. They have their favorite games. They keep playing Candy Crush. They keep playing Clash of Clans. Uh, they are getting their hands on maybe the uh, the latest titles, the big ones, the uh, the MiHoYo's games, the uh, the uh, the the Blizzard games, the Activision games, and then so forth. And the uh, the the other thing that is keeping the uh, the revenue down is the fact that you can't hunt for whales anymore with the restrictions <laughs> through coming through privacy. It's much harder to find people who pay. 
And through that, those key genres that we're able to have relatively small audiences, but well monetizing are, are suffering through that. And then you're saying that the, uh, the growth should be looked at geographical levels. And then this is where I have a question. So you said MENA, you said, you said um, um, Southeast Asia, um, as the growth of player base in Latin America, as, as the growth of player base is, is growing, do you see also growth in spending in, in those regions? Yeah, slowly. And first of all, I think you did a very good job summarizing what I just uh, tried <laughs> to explain. So, uh, all the points you said were, were totally fair, and that's exactly how we look at the market. And, and yeah, so to answer your question, it is both, um, but it's player growth is um growing still growing faster than the average spend and the average spend per player is still much lower than um it is in some of these mature mm -hmm. mobile markets um but that is partly also an, an opportunity right there's there is room for growth because the economics simply in these markets show that you know they are growing markets like the economy is improving mm -hmm. um disposable income is growing and with that average spend per player or per payer rather is is growing, um, but not as fast as the player base. The player base is still expanding faster than the average spend is going up. But both are going up, and that's why um, there is growth in these uh, regions. Yeah, and and as we're talking about growth <laughs> and seeking for growth, it's also important to understand the macroeconomical factors that are at play. The interest rates are up. People have less disposable income. The inflation is higher, much higher than than we've accustomed to. So all these elements, of course have an impact on the disposable income. And then we have to take into account, especially on mobile is that, uh, or, or overall in, in people's spending is that there are sort of a new sinks that, that people will focus on rather that they didn't have, let's say a decade or in 2008, 2009, when we had a recession. And that is of course, all the subscription services that we're using, all the streaming platforms, like Netflix is the last to go. <laughs> like yeah. you'd rather not spend on microtransactions in certain game, but you're gonna have your Netflix because the value, the entertainment per dollar is such a dominant, um, you know, compared to almost any other form of, of entertainment. Hey game devs, are you tired of dealing with complicated payment processes all over the world? Well, Exola's got your back with Exola PayStation. It has a simple, user-friendly interface that makes it easy for players to pay for your games and in-game content however they want. And because the Exola PayStation user interface is adaptive and accessible on smartphones, tablets, and PCs, your players will have a seamless experience no matter their preferred device. Players can save their favorite payment methods for future purchases, and on mobile, even charge purchases directly to their phone carrier bill. On the back end, you can customize your checkout with game-specific integration options like sidebars and iPhones, frames, as well as change colors, fonts, and images to make PayStation look and feel like a natural part of your game. Ready to see Exola's PayStation in action? Visit exola.pro slash payments dash DOF or visit the link in this podcast description. The games industry is experiencing unprecedented growth, with global revenues projected to reach a staggering $268 billion by 2025. But with more players than ever connecting across platforms and devices, how can your game stand out against the competition? AppsFlyer has created AppsFlyer for Games to help you unlock your player's true LTV by providing a wealth of game measurement solutions, unique industry insights, and proven best practices. Our dedicated hub is packed with innovative products, industry partnerships, and unrivaled expertise to ensure your game 
game brand adapts and thrives. We understand that every game is unique and AppsFlyer's data-driven insights allow us to cater to your specific needs. We know that in today's evolving landscape, staying ahead of the curve is crucial. Trust in AppsFlyer for games to guide you through this exciting journey. We have the tools, the knowledge, and the passion to help you succeed in this ever-expanding landscape. Together, we'll conquer new worlds, both real and fantasy, break records, and create gaming experience that leave a lasting impact. Get in touch with AppsFlyer for games today and unleash your game's true potential. AppsFlyer for games, supercharging the gaming landscape. Yeah, um, that that's that's very fair, but it's also something that we are we are closely keeping an eye on because I feel like many of these questions aren't necessarily answered yet. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because, like you said, the last time we went through a recession like this, there wasn't that many subscription, but also a microtransaction itself, free to play mobile, was barely a nation barely coming up, just coming up around yeah. that. Um, arguably you could say that the whole free to play model grew because of that, because you all of a sudden had all of these entertainment at your fingertips without having to pay for it. Yeah. I don't know if that's true, but you know, yeah, that could be, it could have been a factor. Um, and, and now we're looking at this situation and, and there's just questions where we don't know yet. Like our microtransactions, logically you think, yeah, I mean, you're not required to purchase them. So maybe in times where the economic situation is not great um, and you're, you get pressure on your household income, um, then you drop the microtransaction spend. The other thing that could happen is that people say, well, I'm not um, subscribing to these three subscription services or I'm not going to take a vacation like now, but I might spend down and, you know, take maybe, you know, treat myself to... Uh, a new character or, yeah. or buy new extra lives because, well, I didn't make that major purchase. And the thing is, we don't really know yet. And, and we can only, I think, once, you know, in a few years, look yeah. back and then learn and see, oh, this is this is basically how microtransactions and, and that whole market acts in a in a in a situation where the economics don't work. Yeah. Um, so the, I've this we spent quite a bit of time on trying to unpack this and how this may happen. But the, the answer we kept coming back to is like, well, part of it is just wait and see. Yes. Yeah, I, I've seen some data actually from Google where that shows that uh, the correlation between growth of inflation and decrease of spending on microtransaction. And there was also um, subscription spending that wasn't affected by the growth of inflation. So one went down, one went up, and one stayed steady, which kind of, uh, made the hypothesis of that the subscription, whether it's your Tinder profile, again, I have no idea what Tinder is even, <laughs> but I assume that it's very hard to get get off with the Bumbles or whatnot. Uh, and then the uh, the Netflixes and the Disney Pluses and whatnot, like first, certainly some of them will go, like the ones that you use yeah. least, but it seems like, like some of these are such a powerful um, subscription that you're just going to... Sp- you know, get your Spotify and that's it. It's like, you're not going to get rid of it because you need your daily dose of Joe Rogan. And that's, that's, that's pretty much it. So anyways, uh, maybe that's me, uh, but, 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 uh, but let's, let's, uh, let's move on kind of to the, um, uh, uh, 
to to kind of like two questions what is working and what isn't working so okay where do you want to start do you want to start at what is not working because we can start easy we can start web three and just kind of hit like a home run from there and keep, yeah. keep going yeah maybe but, let's do web three right away okay um, we, haven't, web we haven't working? talked about <laughs> we haven't talked about web three in the report this year and i think that says all we need to say about that okay okay so that web three uh, got it let's not even talk about it how about um what are the things are not working that 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 were previously maybe working or we were kind of like um, teetering there? Things like VR, AR, esports. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it would, maybe this is a difference between news and, and deconstruction. <laughs> I would never. I, I think it's harsh to say they're yeah. not working at all because mm -hmm. they are working for certain people. Of course. Um, but well, AR. I think we started AR. AR not working um i haven't seen any ar game be successful and then Magic you always Leap. get the example of, well, oh, yeah <laughs> or pokemon go but yeah. nobody uses no. ar on that game so of course not uh no um so we will say not then, right now right not we'll right say, now that's we'll a say, very good yes no. the not right now in five years in 10 years might be the biggest thing since sliced bread but not right now not right now no no and then vr um it's very much a niche market um so uh it there's there's an install base like uh, there's a, a millions of people have a vr device at home they that buy they games don't use, on it that they don't use that they, well that's that's yeah exactly um but that is that is a real issue yeah. and we we talked about this internally quite extensively there's just a um i think the 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 there's a, there's a disconnect between the fantasy of what VR is and what it is actually now. Um, and like the whole idea of um, going into a different world and free, freely exploring like the, the highest amount of immersion you can get. Um, that is what, uh, the, it, this sounds like, maybe it sounds a bit arrogant, but that's why people think they want VR. Mm -hmm. But then the games that are actually successful are okay. successful. Uh, within that market are high action games that are, you know, not like a fancy world where you can freely explore because the device doesn't actually allow you to do that. Mm. <clears throat> and there are things like super hot, um, which is very active yeah. way of playing and that, that sort of thing work, but the, you know, there's still, I think there's, there's part of it is a disconnect between what is being made and what the device is actually for. The other thing is that it's, it's, it's always going to be a niche thing just because it's it asks so much of you as a player um, yeah so maybe maybe not for games maybe for utilities down the line that's at least how apple is positioning it as well um, yeah possibly but, I, I mean i think there's always going to be somewhat of an interest to play games do vr but no. it's not a main major segment and and i don't see it becoming one perfect all right um and then when we're talking about what's working what's not it's more like what is um, is it, is it, is it a true to the hype? Is it what it was expected? So if, if we're, you know, based on investments that Meta has been doing in VR, is it reaping the benefits? No, no, it's not. Um, how about esports? Like esports has been there for a long time. It's been hyped. Uh, there's, yeah. you know, football team and, and, and basketball teams have all set up their esports organizations. It was like, so hot yeah. few years ago and then COVID came and then reality set over where are we right now um yeah past that 
uh, for sure. Um, esports, again, it, it depends on what you would argue. Is it working? Is it working in the sense that you can pour a lot of money in and expect to get a return on your investment? Unless you're a game publisher with an active esports team, then probably the answer is going to be no. Hmm. Does esport work as a a retention and engagement model for very competitive titles. Absolutely. Like there is an audience yeah. for people to watch the best players compete versus each other. Um, and, and yeah, but it's, it's a, it's a marketing channel essentially. Um, and if you approach it as that and not a pillar of a business that's supposed to generate revenue in itself. And I know I've read, the riot statement from a month, few months back mm -hmm. where they, they said they were going to do the, just that. And maybe it works out and we turn out to be wrong. But in terms of an audience, in terms of viewership, yes, it's there. There's people that are interested in this. There's people that are watching this. Um, but not in terms of a business where you as an outside investor will get a return on your investment. Perfect. So got it. So it's, a, it's an investment at best and, uh, and a sink at worst. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> again, it depends on where you're coming from with this. Um, yeah. but yeah. And, and yeah, no, I think that's all we need to say on this. All topic. right. All right. <laughs> let's, let's talk about some other, uh, other interesting stuff. So we talked about handheld device. Let's talk about AI. AI is the hottest thing right now. Yeah. Everybody's using AI. You cannot like even LinkedIn has AI right now. It's, it has, it's impossible yeah. to, to get out of AI. I think this whole show is just done by two AI characters right now. <laughs> So, I'm not actually here. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Uh, so, so don't hold me accountable. Uh, so, so what what's going on with AI? Is it, uh, you know, is it working? Is it not working? I would say it's working for now. Um, uh, compared to some of the trends we covered just now, um, there's a very real use case for AI in games. And you know, earlier in this podcast, we were talking about this increasing development time, uh, increasing development budgets, and and AI absolutely already plays a role in 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 you know trying to limit that, even maybe bringing it down at some point. Uh, AI is a tool that can help smaller teams um, bring out games faster uh, than they are doing right now, and there, there's already some examples on that, like High on Life, um, which was launched last year. Uh, used uh, some AI uh, tools to generate voices, to generate background art. So, and that there's plenty of examples like this already. So AI is definitely working, um, but there are also some uh, uh, questions or, or um, potential issues that need to be solved. And that's, that's around the, the uh, copyright um, cases. Uh, mostly and what type of content you can use and what type of tools you can use to generate AI and, and knowing what these AI tools have learned from. Um, and, and that's, you know, part of where, where there's probably a need for regulation or at least some kind of control or transparency. Mm -hmm. um, but in general sense, whether AI is, is doing what, uh, um, but at least now we're, we're, we're setting, we're hoping it will do, which is to, to in speed up game development, then yes, I would say that that is working. Got and it. then I'm moving still, I'm staying away from the idea that, you know, AI in the future might even uh, be incorporated into games itself. That may happen. Um, 
I don't know why it wouldn't, but uh, that's not really the, the impact that we're seeing now. So, so the role of AI, what's working is is that it's streamlining the development, and through that, helping to control and many and in some cases even decrease the cost of development that have been steadily rising across actually pretty much all platforms. Mobile is yeah. a little bit of a dichotomy. There's always the uh, the games that are made fast, quickly, uh, but there's also games that are you know of a triple A quality these days, and, and AI can help there. Um, in your report, did you touch upon? The point that there's, as with AI in, in all industries, whether we're talking about, you know, entertainment or, or um, tech or whatnot, there's always people that are very anti-AI because they're afraid that this could take their jobs, essentially. Uh, did you touch upon that element in your report and what do you think is going to be effect of it? Yeah, we do. Um, so in the report, we do uh, talk about the, the pros and cons of AI. And one of the things that we address in there indeed is the the very real risk, I would say, that AI um, takes part of the work out of current developers' hands. And with that, the potential, yeah, this is a very real risk. I would say that if, you know, there, there's a reason to be worried. I don't want to sound like a prophet of doom here, but yeah, it's it's how this goes. If certain tasks or certain things can get handled by AI that were handled by developers before, then loss of jobs is a very real risk as it is in any other industry. Mm -hmm. um, and we can be hopeful that as AI takes over the more mundane tasks, um, you know, replicating a in-game art asset 50 times in slightly different coloring or slightly different formats, that you know, it leaves the developers to be more creative and to, to you know, spend more time creating new art. Yeah. Um, but realistically, that's not always how it's going to be used. Yeah, <laughs> there's a there's a sentiment that I'm that I'm seeing a lot where executives are sort of a soothe, giving a soothing talk of like, no, this just means that we don't need to grow the organization as much. We can have who we have right now and have more efficiency, which is for sure 100% true. But yeah. nevertheless, when I'm seeing how AI is being used by startups, by games that are, by startups that are developing games, they are getting very fast progress by, you know, either not hiring people for certain tasks, especially artists, especially narrative designers and those kind of people, uh, but, but, or just having like one person who's able with the help of AI produce significantly more and at a significantly faster pace. So uh, I think what you're saying is is very objective. And I think that type of a sentiment is something that executives are afraid to say, because that will lead to your art team, your narrative designer team, uh, potentially in future engineering teams kind of being against the use of AI, because it would mean that they would maybe see the loss of colleagues if they truly embrace it. Yes, but then you could argue, what do you have to gain by resisting? Um, yeah, well, we're we're just yeah. we're just by, so there's a human <laughs> component to this all, 
and we're yeah. just looking at from the side. So we can always say, you know, like why back in the days when cars were coming in, like, why are you resisting cars? They will win eventually. Why would you have horses? It doesn't make any sense. They poop everywhere. Uh, you know, it's like uh, it's easy for us to say the uh, the downside because we're not actually. Actually, you know, we're not impacted. Yeah, we don't have horses, you know. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. So 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 we're we're looking from the side, but there is a very legit human component to this. And I think that will be something that that the industry will have to cope with. Uh, but but it's going to it's going to hurt some people. I think I think uh, yeah, I think I think that is unavoidable at this stage. I, I, I I'm afraid so. Yes, yeah. um, that it is unavoidable that and and it, it's it might be a, um, a temporary thing, you know, where mm people in the studios learn to work with AI and learn to incorporate that. And in the short term that yeah, may unfortunately affect some people. Um, yeah. Yeah. But then once we incorporate like it, typically again, if you learn from all these technology advancements, usually we <laughs> as humans find a way to be productive or busy elsewhere. So yeah, hopefully uh, fingers crossed that, yeah I think it's unavoidable that there's a, at least an impact in the near term yeah and uh, well you know so embrace it be uh, be a sort of a, like uh, you know first mover to understand what the AI does and what it doesn't so that you can position yourself that that you're not you know redundant like we will be because this podcast will be fully produced by AI. Uh, <laughs> all the reports, all the reports, all the reports. We're we're down there, so we're down. With, yeah. We're, we're going to be baristas too, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, let's talk about transmedia. That has been something yeah. in the news all the time. You got Mario that that did super well. Barbie, to you know, to some extent, yes, because even though that's not a game, but there's plenty of Barbie games, and then Barbie has been then incorporated with a lot of different games, whether it's a Stumble Guys or or some other ones. I, I don't know if that's maybe just a use of an IP to lower it, but um, PlayStation has been really going into into transmedia. Yeah. Last of Us, uh, I think there's um, there's there's a GT. There's a lot of different shows coming in based on these beloved franchises. So transmedia, is it working? Is it not? What are what are, what is the data saying? Uh, the data saying is saying yes. So oh, it's, it's good yes. News. <laughs> good. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. It, it, what we did for the reports, I think, is it, uh, we wanted to explore a, a bit of a different angle because, like you said, we've seen much in media and all these shows and movies have been very successful, and that's kind of a showcase that the storytelling that we're doing in games is mm -hmm. strong and and very good, and it can lead to compelling stories inside, even outside of the gaming uh, medium. And that's very exciting. But what we try to impact for this report is, okay, but does it also work the other way around? Like if you do a game or if you if there is a show about a game or about a franchise, does that also compel people to play that again? And um, the answer again was yes. I mean, we're not talking double numbers of mm -hmm. MAU or double revenue, but there is a very real, like we looked across I think 27 franchises where in the past couple of years, there's been some sort of media. So whether that be a TV show and even the anime, like animated mm -hmm. shows, like with a movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, cyberpunk as well. And like, do we see around those beats when these shows are announced? So three months before release, during release and after release, like, do we actually see that gaming engagement and, and increases and the answer again was yes like we we're talking on average like an eight to ten percent increase in meu for uh, 
all these franchises combined. And the other thing that was very interesting, because we also wanted to know, like, okay, are these players that are coming back or are these new uh, players? And and we did see, like, the meaningful change in the new amount of players that were coming to these franchises while these shows are running. So... I think the, the the good thing about transmedia and that we sort of try to prove with this um, analysis that we've done is that it really benefits both sides. It benefits the the movie and show and like the entertainment industry because they get the content from mm-hmm. games, but it also is beneficiary for game developers and publishers that are giving out this this IP rights or, or maybe doing it in house, but they're they're putting their IP out there and this is you know, translate into new players and higher engagement. And again, yes, on average it does. That's, that's good to hear. That's uh, so we'll see, we'll be probably seeing more and more transmedia happening then because there is a proven effect and your clients yeah. are so big that they're probably following this and your report will encourage them to invest more into transmedia. Yeah. Although again, here's the, um, the, the, the warning is that it doesn't always work. Mm. It wasn't always the case that it increased. And there is, you know, if you, it, a thoughtful, um, mix between if the medium and the type of show and the audience that you're going for matches with what you're trying to do with your game, then yeah, you can see this positive effect. But if there's a disconnect or it seems not genuine in one way or another, then mm. it's not guaranteed. Yeah, it's still exciting. It's still exciting it's, for, it very for, much is, for, for yeah. developers, for executives to be working with Hollywood, having those meetings with the Hollywood execs, meeting <laughs> the actors, getting your movie out, like all those things would be, I've never, you know, been in those circles, but that sounds like a lot of fun. So, so Yeah, it, so, it must be right. Yeah. Seeing your work, your story, yeah. your ideas yeah. on the big screen or yeah. on a, like and, and also just going to these galas. Like, you know, we, we have game development galas, but those kind of suck. We don't have like <laughs> yeah. we don't have the Venice Film Festivals like like no. going there, putting your like number one suit on and just going <laughs> so that Buying sounds amazing. Suit. Yeah, even, exactly. even worth that, even if it's like ROI zero zero <laughs> like it's not a cost but at least you can go to like Cannes film festival or venice or i don't know which, which I, I don't know many film festival like that that were sundance <laughs> like any of this would be fun so yeah so let's let's uh let's knock off the uh, the last one which is of course cloud gaming oh like where are yes. we with cloud gaming <laughs> um... working or not <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, this, uh, this is, this is, this is an interesting one, right? Yeah. It, <laughs> it's yes or cover, no. Like it's pretty- cover your ears. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, but, but it, get, it depends your, your, you, when we talked about this before, you said, you know, is cloud gaming something that lives up to the hype, lives up to the promise. It, it kind of depends on where you were looking at. Like if we go back to 2019, when. You know, we were at GDC, you're sitting in the main stage, Google comes up and they announce Stadia. Google Stadia and yes. you get sucked up into, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, uh, Give me Assassin's no, Creed no. on my phone. Yeah. And, you, and then you yeah. get on your phone, like, get this out of my phone. <laughs> yeah, no. that, that level of hype, you know, yeah. if we go by that as the base case, no, probably not. That We didn't get to where, where we may have thought we were going there. Um, but then on the other hand, cloud gaming is growing. Um, we see more users, more paying users, um, and more being spent for these services every year. Um, 
And I think one thing that is that is good to do um, separate here is that we've, you know, there's one very high profile case where it didn't work, which we talked about. And there's another, you know, Amazon Luna as well stepped into cloud gaming. And mm -hmm. again, there's the idea the that this is Amazon behind it. So, yeah. you know, this has to be big within no time. And <laughs> it hasn't. It hasn't. Yeah. It hasn't they, done. They that. also made. They also made a phone. So let's not forget that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so these big tech companies step into something, and then the expectation is that it grows rapidly and becomes the next big thing. And it hasn't become that. Um, but we talk to many of the um, smaller, on the background, cloud gaming providers. Um, whether that you know they might be working with. Uh, um, TV manufacturers, uh, telecom providers, internet providers, OTT companies, and all of them tell us the same thing. Like we're seeing more users coming in, they're spending more, um, and they're reporting growth. So, uh, and that is even true for like in Nvidia as well, mm -hmm. uh, GeForce Now. But again, there's also some, you know, sorry, we're a research firm, so we always have yeah. the upside and the downside, you know, that's how we look at things. There's, there's, there's realistic questions you can ask about cloud gaming and, and the cost side and uh, how that's associated with it. And one of the things that we're also seeing while talking to all of these companies, they may have started or they may, their idea may have started as a pure play cloud gaming service. So, you know, we build up this infrastructure, we have these remote services, we put in uh, gaming ready uh, devices in there. Mm -hmm. And then that's, that's how we are going to grow. But um, now many of that is diversified and cloud gaming is one of the things that they do. Um, but the amount of pure play cloud gaming services is um, not as many as there were um, right around that Stadia time or right after that announcement of Stadia. And clouds, because these the same servers that are built up are um, can be used to develop games while remote. You know, you can open these up to game developers as well and have them work remote effectively. Have them, you know, being able to test build while they are in different areas of the world. Um, it unlocks some capabilities in terms of development that you wouldn't have at a at a home setup because mm -hmm. um, you know there's hypothetically at least realistically no but hypothetically there's infinite processing power yeah. when you're using a cloud uh, a remote server um and yes they're also uh stepping into ai a little bit because again with these very powerful remote uh devices you can increase that processing speed increase that learning speed by a lot so there's some diversification happening at the same time we do hear that um the number of users, paying users, is going up uh, in context of the total mm -hmm. market and some of these segments that we were talking about at the start. Then cloud gaming is very much a niche market. Yeah. So it is working. It is growing. <laughs> but compared to the size of investment, it's not there. It's not where you would expect it to be. And only time will tell whether it grows. So it's like in an early invest stage. And we're at least yeah. seeing traction on like, a web three that we didn't even talk about there was investment there was no traction and we're not even talking about it so in this case there's a lot of investments from all the top players some of the players have even uh removed removed themselves like google or, or amazon yeah. but when amazon is still at... active oh, uh, by the way yeah okay they actually so... for the first time in, in the it was quiet for a long time to the mm -hmm. point where we 
were just waiting for the announcement. Yeah. Uh, but then they announced uh, not too long ago, I think half a year ago, maybe that they are expanding the oh. country. So for a long time, they were only available in the US and now they're, they're moving elsewhere. Yeah, makes sense with AWS and all their infrastructure yeah, exactly. that they have. They have the infrastructure. And then the prime with the subscriptions, but, but yes, the clients, but, um, but, and then Google is still kind of in the game up through a white label. So, or maybe not. That was, that was not the, uh, your face said not. Google's not in the game with this one. So no, Google's just not in game with this one. Not in game. Um, but, but overall there's growth, there's tremendous amount of investments and we'll see over the next five years, whether the, uh, the growth will outpace the investment and there will be actually yeah. a payback and and on a conceptual level it makes sense with the cloud gaming like it just makes sense that you don't have to have hardware devices and everything can be um accessed through different screens um and i think that is the future but it's definitely not today it's not next yeah. year it's not year after that could have been in five, ten, most likely. Yeah, yeah, and and I would say also definitely within that, it's not the only future. Yeah. Um, so the the way we look at cloud as well is that it's another method of delivering games to players. Yes, accessibility. Um, exactly, and um, in, in with that logic, then yes, there's a future. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yeah, there's uh, there, there's value proposition there, and especially with with uh, let's say even the supply chain issues where you can't get the newest hardware device, but through cloud, technically that would be possible in the future. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last thing, if you, so not if, I know you're working with a lot of finance bros, whether they're private equity or, or other types of a capital, uh, as well as, as, as publishers, uh, what are the trends that you would suggest them to keep an eye out for? Like what are the sort of a hot things uh, that would stand out when you take a slide out of a Newsu report and that kind of almost guarantees you uh, a check from a, from an investor or a limited partner or, a, or any kind of a, any kind of money bag. Oh, uh, um, I, I'm not a financial advisor. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now I would say, so what are the things, um, if you are in UGC right now, that's a very good place to be. UGC, uh, boom. Yeah, that's because uh, UGC, as well as you know, giving these tools, creator tools to players, mm -hmm. it is also a very good answer to going back to what we talked about in the beginning, the very beginning of this podcast. You know, mm -hmm. console creating all this content. Where is that coming from? You know, why not players. crowdsource some of that? Exactly. UGC, UGC plus AI. That that's a that's yeah a, that's a that's a great bet. Like if you, you put those, those two on your pitch deck and uh, boom, all right, Tom, back. you are a financial advisor. So UGC plus AI, <laughs> strong sell uh, yeah. or strong buy. Uh, what else? What else are we talking about? What, what else? How about uh, if I'm if my company like like my company? I'm just I'm just an example. How about if I'm targeting uh, Mina? Uh, yeah. That's the, so MENA is, is the market where we are um, forecasting the most growth this year in terms of revenue. So if you have established or you have somewhat traction there, that's that's typically a good sign. Like MENA is right around that time where, you know, the economy is improving, players are coming in, they get more opportunities, more access, and, and therefore, the, you know, especially this year, but also next year, that really, that region is really set for strong growth. Mm -hmm. So and you can do even yeah. esports events there. There's plenty of stadiums. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, how? Uh, what else? Cloud? No. Wait, no, not, wait not, and see. No, no, wait and see. Hold, hold, hold on, Cloud. Uh, what, what, what are the, what are the trends? Would, would I, would you keep an eye on? How about a privacy changes? Um, a lot of the pitches that we're seeing right now is the investors are asking the same questions. How are you going to grow? UGC is a great way and AI is a great way to um, to produce content. Also, in, in some terms, viral. Mina is, is a growth platform because there's a growing base. But regarding privacy, that is the number one questions that, that investors are asking um, people who are seeking funding, for example, in mobile. It's like, how are yeah. you going to grow? So what's your take on, on privacy? Um, well, some of the things that we're seeing um, to get around that, uh, and we come back to use of IP right now, um, licensing, uh, game or non-game IP. Um, but an example that recently popped up, like Scopely and Monopoly Go. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows Monopoly. So if you have that IP, then you know all of a sudden these targeting issues might not be so much of an issue for you anymore. Mm -hmm. So working with IP, working with franchises, having that recognizability, you know, trying different approaches to marketing, maybe more traditional forms of game marketing that all of a sudden become viable again because, you know, targeting is just, user targeting is just not as effective. So if you you kind of try and diversify how mm -hmm. you want to reach your audience and you have a good story about why your game, whether that be franchise, whether that be marketing strategy might uh, do well. So if I would put in uh, IP plus broad appeal games plus brand marketing plus influencers, you'd give a yeah. thumbs up? Well, maybe, you know, a bit more detail about how. Yeah, yeah but those, um, are, those are the columns. <laughs> let's just say those are some of the strategies that we've, we've observed. Mm -hmm. um, mobile game developers that have managed to be successful in the past year, years, mm -hmm. um, employ. So, yeah. And what what are the uh, the other trends? Should I should we be looking at how the subscription model evolves? Should we be looking at games as a service model evolving? Uh, what, what what are the what are the other trends that we should be looking at to to react towards? I, I think all of those are are viable bets as well. Like life services, we we talked again. We talked about some of the the potential issues or bottlenecks that we're facing, but. You know the situation right now is that it's still a very good bet, and that's why probably why we see so much investment going mm -hmm. towards that. Also from like the very top publishers in terms of revenue, in terms of player base. Um, but realize that if you're going for a live service, you're getting into a market that's more and more constricting, and there is you know going to be very, very big players and franchises entering that market as well. So, you know, just be mindful of, of what you're mm -hmm. getting into. And if, even now, when we see all these games that are being announced, like Summer Game Fest uh, game, n many of these are not going to, not going to be as successful as they hope they mm -hmm. will be. And that's just an inevitability because of the model that they employ. Yeah. <clears throat> so overall, yes, the live services markets or rather you know microtransactions downloadable content that is going to grow but because the competition is increasing and it's more of a you know zero-sum market where you know you're all asking mm. for time and that's a limited resource yeah. there's no guarantee that you as an life service developer are going to be successful if you chase that trend true but 
having my finance bro hat on, I would naturally be focusing on the companies that provide tools for the content developers to succeed in games as a service. And the tool providers are not as, you know, uh, hurt whether that game succeeds or not, because they have several other companies that they're working with and helping them to succeed. So there's, there's many ways to read these trends and there's yeah. many players in an industry other than just pure content creators. So, so that's, uh, that's, fair. that's very important to understand because, you know, in terms of startups, there's other startups than just the game studios. Um, anything else, Tom? I think we covered it. Well, thank you so much, Tom Wyman. As always, a must-read report. Uh, we'll, we'll have link. Uh, you don't even even link in description. If you haven't read it, go to Newzoo. You'll, you can download the other uh, report there. It is a very interesting one. I read it, you know, back to back. A lot of uh, a lot of insights and really helps because a lot of our audience is very mobile focused. It helps us to zoom out and look at the industry as a whole and understands, for example, what are these console players doing and why? What could be the future? Uh, what are the elements that that you know financial institutions are looking at? What are the trends geographically, uh, technology wise, um, user behavior wise? So. Very, very great report. And thank you so much for always publishing these uh, every year. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me on. Um, <laughs> and I can only agree, go to newsu.com, download the reports. And if you're interested to learn more, then just reach out to us. All right. On that note, everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you, Tom, thousand times for uh, for joining the podcast. Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you like this podcast, please do leave a comment and share the episode. If you want to access the Deconstructor of Fun community with hundreds of senior games folk, go to our website and apply to the Slack group. And if you want to get notified of all the new content we have coming out every week, do subscribe to the weekly Deconstructor of Fun newsletter. Finally, do remember, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys. Catch you next time.